16. And I'll be reading verses verse 6 through to the end of the chapter. I know it's quite a lengthy uh, section to take, but uh, I trust that we'll be able to get through this uh, this afternoon. But it, of course, this is the high priestly prayer of our Lord as He prayed uh, His intercessory prayer, not only concerning Himself as He was to uh, very soon go and suffer for His for the sins of the world, um, and uh, but also for the disciples uh, that He would pray for them. And so we look at this uh, prayer very affectionately, realizing that our um, our Lord prayed for us as much as he prayed for the disciples. So, uh, John 17, let's look at verse 6. I have manifested my name unto the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things, whatever thou hast given me, are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I am come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name, that those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. It can be stated that way. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their word. Very interesting statement there. Verse 21, That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, and thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me, 
Be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Let us pray. Loving Father, we do ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. It is your divine word. It is that word which your only begotten Son did pray, and that he prayed for the disciples and for all that should believe on the Lord Jesus Christ through the very word that they would preach. Lord, we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what a wonderful passage, and we stop and think about it, that the Lord Jesus uh, made such an intercessory prayer for the disciples. Well, I was uh, listening to some messages this morning myself on... um, Actually, the Newsmax channel, they usually have about four different people that come on on that Newsmax channel and preach every Sunday morning. Um, David Jeremiah is one of them. Jack Hibbs is another one. Um, Also, um, Greg Laurie was on there preaching this morning. And um, an interesting fellow by the name of Alan Jackson. Uh, And all of these uh, had very compelling messages about the end times, about prophecy, about things being fulfilled. The the prophecy seems to be the theme of preaching right now. And uh, uh, I think it was that uh, David Jeremiah said that we are on the edge of the Great Tribulation Period. Now that's pretty that's pretty a pretty bold statement to say we're on the edge of it. You know, we're not in it, we're on the edge of it, he says. Um, because of the things that are taking place, and I think probably you understand what he means by that. That uh, certain events in in the world are so compelling that they cause us to think about those events that are to take place. Um, And I believe he also made the statement that the rapture is the next event on the prophetic timeline. Now even those people who don't necessarily subscribe to um, a two-part return of the Lord, meaning the coming of the Lord in the air and taking away the believers, and then the second part would be, of course, the coming of the Lord at the end of the age and the the great judgment at the end of the tribulation period. Even those people uh, look at the events, the current events of the time, in a very compelling way. Well, I I use that as an introduction just to say this. As we look at this passage this this, uh, afternoon concerning the Lord's intercessory prayer, Uh, He is, in many ways, praying with all this in mind because it is the very Word of God that the Lord Jesus is using as a platform to say the things that he said to his own disciples. We know that the Lord came um, in the beginning of uh, his ministry 
um, being born into the world as he was, the very Son of God, and come into the world by the direct means of the conception of the Holy Spirit upon the womb of Virgin Mary. And that uh, he might come into the world, the Son of God, and that he might not have a human father, but he might be identified as the true Messiah of God. And this is the kind of like the, the beginning of where a believer comes into the storyline themselves. We come into the storyline when we believe that Jesus Christ is sent from the Father, is that one who was sent from the Father. He is the Son of God. And that's where we come into the storyline on, this, on this, um, horizon, uh, this, this horizontal plane that we're on, um, under the sun, as, as Solomon says. Uh, the vertical plane is, you know, is like this. We, we have a direct communication to God, but only after we come into relationship with God's Son on this um, uh, horizontal plane under the sun. And this is where the disciples come in, you see. And, and, uh, and so we, uh, we understand, that's the first point here he mentions. The disciples were given to the Son by the Father. The disciples were given to the Son by the Father. And so as we come up to verse 6, he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men whom thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them to me, and they have kept thy word. And so the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world uh, as he did through the incarnation, being sent from the Father. He has come into the world, and the Father gave these, who we now know as disciples and believers, he gave them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, he prays, of course. Jesus is praying. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. That's verse 5. And so, in a sense, he is saying to the Father, Lord, I want you to, I want you to, to reinstate my glory that I had with you. I want you to reinstate that glory uh, because I'm going to be coming back to you. And I have manifested, I have shown myself, I have uh, declared your name. I have declared in your name that I am that one who came into the world. And as I came into the world, you gave me these who are my disciples. And, and of course he and they have kept the word. They have kept thy word. Verse 6, very last statement there in that verse. And so we find that this word which was transmitted to the disciples, the disciples believed, and that they had kept it. They had followed the Lord Jesus Christ throughout his ministry, and they had kept the very word of God in their hearts, and they believed it. 
And uh, this, is the, uh, this is the identification, if you will, of a believer. They not only believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and was sent from the Father, but they believe the very word of God that was given to Jesus Christ, who was sent from the Father. In verse 7, Now they have known that all things, whatever thou hast given me, are of thee. And so there is a certain interrelationship that Jesus talks about. Secondly, the disciples believed that the Father had sent the Son. And so this interrelationship is one that Jesus freely talked about to his disciples. This relationship that he was sent from the Father, the relationship that the Father had given them to him, that is, the disciples to him, and that uh, this relationship was one where he was sharing the word of um, the gospel, what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, And we call it that because it is all about Jesus. The things that Jesus uh, uh, did and said, the very fact that Jesus came into the world the ultimate end of Christ to die for the sins of the world and to be resurrected and to return to the Father to receive that glory which he formerly had with the Father. We talk about all these things and they are truly the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things that uh, I remember this morning from the message that David Jeremiah gave was this, that he said there are two things that we must do as we come to this critical time in human history, uh, we must not only be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, ourselves as believers, but we must take the gospel to the world. That is what we have been commissioned to do. And that really encompasses the whole idea of what we are as disciples or believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We become witnesses of the Lord and we take the gospel of Christ to other people. That is our mission at the end of the age as much as it is was at the beginning of the church age. That, that is it right there. <clears throat> and so, you know, as some people come to this critical time in, in church history and are thinking about, well, what is going to happen next? on the prophetic timeline, so to speak. He's basically, David Jeremiah was saying, don't be too concerned about all of that. That is going to happen anyway. What you need to remember to do is be witnesses of the Lord and take the message of Christ to others. That's what you need to do. We keep it, it is that simple. It is that simple and powerful. Uh, it is the fact, the very thing that we have been called to do as disciples of Christ. And so Jesus is, uh, is communicating in, by prayer. Uh, and you will notice as you go down through here, in some parts of his prayer, it's as though he was already in heaven. He, he, is, he is making these statements almost in a twofold manner. He's here on the earth, but it's almost as if he is praying in heaven at the same time, or is in heaven at the same time. And... Um, I think, you know, in a way, our prayers take on a similar parallel to what the Lord 
is doing here. How many times have you prayed and found yourself praying to the Father, but using the name of Jesus? Or praying as if you were praying to Jesus? And we find ourselves doing that because it is almost, for us as believers, it is almost interchangeable to say, Lord meaning Father and Lord meaning Jesus. Because we have a, such a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only so, but since we know that Jesus is our intercessor with the Father uh, and is our high priest, our coming to the Father is in the name of Jesus. And so we find ourselves sometimes using those, that twofold aspect of the word Lord. We're praying, we're addressing the Father in heaven. But we use the name Lord as if to say, Lord Jesus, my Savior. And so we find that Jesus is praying in a very intimate way to the Father. In verse 8 he says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Now, of course, right there in that statement, he's basically saying that these same disciples are the ones that you gave me, but they also believe that you sent me into the world, that I am truly the incarnate Christ. And you see, that, has, that is how integral it is woven into our belief system. To believe upon Jesus is to believe that he is the one who has been sent by God. And uh, in fact, it is so important to our understanding of what it means to be saved, that is to have a relationship with, with God, uh, because we say, well, we cannot be saved unless we believe that Jesus truly was sent from God. In other words, he is not a person in the sense of being a, a man only. He is, he is the God-man. Uh, he is the one who was sent by the Father into the world that he, he was born of a human mother but not of a human father because God sent him and he was conceived of the Holy Spirit of God in the womb of Mary. And so he didn't have a human father. He had only a human mother. And that's why Mary is often called the mother of God but we know that not literally so because, uh, in other words, God, God, uh, Mary didn't give birth to God. Rather, she was a, simply a vessel of which God used to bring uh, the only begotten Son into the world. Why? Because he had to come as he did, as a human being. Because he had to go to the cross to die for our sins. In other words, he had to become the fulfillment of the prophecy of John the Baptist uh, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He had to become a human being that he could bear the penalty of our sin. And so, yes, he was born uh, as a human being into the world. Mary gave birth to Christ, but Mary did not give birth to God. And we find that Mary was a vessel used by the Lord. And uh, even an angel came and announced that to her, that she would be used in that particular manner. 
And so the disciples believed that the Father had sent the Son. In verse 8, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Verse 9, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Well, here, of course, in Jesus' intercessory prayer, uh, he does not, he says he does not pray for the world. He did not, he was not praying at that time for the world. And the world here is mankind in general. Um, the world of mankind. He was not praying for them. He's rather praying for the disciples only. Or those which, which we understand more fully now to be those whom the Father had given to the Son. Those whom the Father had given to the Son. And uh, the only place that we have any record of Jesus praying, perhaps in a, in a more general sense for the world of mankind, is when he was on the cross when he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Man didn't know what they were, he, he was doing. Mankind didn't know. Um, and in another place in the scripture, it says if they had known, they would not have done it. They would not have killed him. But they did. Because they did not know who he was. And they, they only thought that he was a threat. Why? Because they were not of God. They, they did not have the understanding of God in their hearts. And so at that place on the cross, he could pray for them, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so we find that the disciples were being prayed for. And uh, Jesus is, is saying that here. I pray for them, meaning the disciples. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. Them which thou hast given me. And so this uh, idea of praying for uh, his disciples is one which is very real and intimate. And it means also that he was praying for you and I as well. Um, he specifically, of course, has in mind his own disciples. They were to go into a very difficult period of time um, when he would be leaving them. He would suffer and die upon the cross. Uh, he would bear the reproach of man and his own body upon the tree. Um, yet he also had you and I in mind as well. For we find that in, look at verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also whom, who shall believe on me through their word. Verse 20 just automatically expanded that whole concept of who he was praying for. Uh, yes, his own disciples, but yes, for all who would come to the Lord Jesus Christ through the preaching of their word. That is the word of the disciples. What word is that? But it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the word that they would be preaching. They would go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. They would baptize in the name of Jesus Christ. They would, they would call upon people to repent in the name of Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, the Philippian jailer. A classic passage of how that, uh, 
uh, it was these that man was called to faith and to repent and then uh, to to uh, bring that truth to his own household and then to require that uh, that person be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why else would we be baptized except to identify with Jesus Christ? You see, we it, it is it is essential and important. Uh, to our faith, to identify with the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we, we, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them whom thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. As close as Jesus was to his own Father in heaven, he could make a statement like this. He could make a statement of like comparison between the Father and himself concerning those that were given to him. And all mine are thine, those that have received me and know me as the true Messiah of God, and thine are mine, those that you have given to me, and of course that statement would have to include not only the twelve, or the should say the eleven except for Judas, um, and all that would believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. All that would believe. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. The Lord would receive glorification through us. We would glorify the Lord. The chief end of man is to glorify God. The chief end of man. Um, and it, it is not to, to uh, fulfill our ambitions. The chief end of us as believers is to glorify God. In verse 11, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. So here in verse 11 he prays as though he's, almost, he's in heaven himself. And now I am no more in the world. I am no more in the world. I am no more... You see, he was about to leave... Um, his humanity behind and take on the full glorification that he would have with the Father or had with the Father. The full glorification that he had with the Father. And so uh, he could pray this way uh, because he and the Father were one in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit um, the, the, the triunity of the Godhead is indivisible. Uh, it cannot be divided. Yet we find the, the full purpose of uh, the Godhead was to reveal not only the Father, but the Son, that the Son may be glorified in the Father, and the Father may be glorified in the Son, and that the Spirit of God would come in the fullness of time, and we find that the, the coming of the Spirit of God would then uh, make it possible that the gospel should take full effect upon the whole world. For through the Spirit of God we know that the new birth is uh, made uh, fully manifest upon the hearts of those who believe. And so this great work of redemption uh, was, was a part of his prayer and of what God meant for him to accomplish. 
In verse 12, Jesus prayed for the disciples, interceding for them, 9 through 12. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Well, here perhaps it is a little bit confusing when we think about this. Why was Judas lost if none of them could be lost? Except for this very important fact, is that Judas was placed among the disciples. But it doesn't say that Judas ever believed that he was the true Christ. Remember, it goes back to what a true relationship with Christ meant. It meant to believe that he was the incarnate of God. It meant to believe that he came into the world to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And Judas did not believe either one. In fact, uh, his place among them was, was, uh, was to be revealed as a betrayer. He was revealed as a betrayer of Christ. And it appears that this was a part of God's uh, design, if you will. For lack of better understanding, Jesus had to have a betrayer in order to fulfill the very scriptures concerning his coming and uh, of those who would eventually capture him and take him to be tried and, of course, ultimately crucified. And so Judas is pointed out as this one who, if you will, uh, is lost from the group. He, is, he, is not, he was not among the saved, if you will, but he himself was, a, was called a son of perdition, um, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And again, the idea of this is that God's word might be fulfilled. The very prophecy of God's word would be fulfilled by this person who would ultimately betray the Lord Jesus Christ. And his betrayal would stand uh, for all time as that one uh, who would stand against the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the, the Lord Jesus um, prayed for his disciples while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Of course, the other avenue of the idea of the scripture might be fulfilled is that as much as it was important that the prophecies of Christ's coming be fulfilled, it was important that all of the scripture might be fulfilled, even concerning those, that one who would ultimately betray him and ultimately um, allow sinful men to, to uh, capture Christ and to do what they did to him. Uh, we know throughout Christ's ministry there were many opportunities when they thought they could capture the Lord Jesus, but they could not. Uh, he slipped out of their presence. He, he found himself able to escape them very easily because his hour had not yet come. And this betrayer, 
Judas, the son of Petition, uh, was allowed to be there in his presence for the right moment and the right time that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. He did not believe it. He rather had evil pent up in his heart, and uh, of course the evil one, no doubt, took advantage of it and uh, used him. uh, And Christ knew that this would take place. Verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Well, as much as the coming of Christ um, meant that he would call believers to himself, it also carried this uh, sense that the believers, uh, as much as they would have sorrow and suffering concerning the loss of the Lord, at some point they would have joy concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And now come I to thee, that these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. One of the things which we uh, realize, uh, perhaps um, in a a, uh, difficult way, is the joy of our salvation because of the sufferings of Christ. It's, It's... it's difficult to talk about, but we, Christ suffered for us, and we, we, in a sense, we have great sorrow over his sufferings and over his death and, and what he went through. But on the other hand, we have great joy when we come to faith in Christ because we realize that he took our sins upon himself. He took our, our suffering, those, that judgment which belonged to us, he took upon himself. And so we we have great joy because of our relationship with Christ. The joy in our salvation is that we have come to faith, realizing that we could not save ourselves, and that only a true Savior, the Son of God, sent from the Father to bear the sins of the world, was able to give us the salvation which faith alone Uh, by grace and through faith alone, we can realize. And so he talks about this, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. They might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, verse 14, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not. Of the world, and so this this difficulty um, that comes about uh, for the disciples, we find that after Christ died, they would be hunted. Uh, they would be, be they they would be sought after to be to be killed, and ultimately, of course, we do know that men that all but one of them perhaps died a martyr's death, except for John. Uh, the beloved, um, who believed did die of natural causes, but that the rest of them died a very, uh, a very mar- a martyr's death, if you would. And we find that um, the world hated them because of the word of God that they preached. In fact, we know that 
John the Apostle, uh, Paul the Apostle rather, um, was a persecutor of the Christians before he came to faith on the road to Damascus. And um, in every sense of the word of what it means to, to, to hate and to murder or to see exterminated the um, Saul of Tarsus uh, at the time before he took his Gentile name, Paul, we find was a persecutor of the Christians and, and sought to kill them, to drag them off to Jerusalem and have them exterminated. Uh, and so this idea of the world hating them was a very real and present danger uh, at the time, a very real and present danger. He says, I have given them thy word, and, thy wor- and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. It seems like that not only anti-Semitism is on the rise, but anti-Christian is on the rise. Because um, we, we know what anti-Semitism is. It's, it's the hating of Jewish people. And that seems, that it seems to be coming more and more on the scene right now. Um, but then we find this to be true as well. Christians are also being hated. And, and especially the, the very liberal progressives of our country want to see the Christians exterminated. They want to see them out of the way. If you might use a milder term, but ultimately they don't care how it happens as long as they are somehow dealt with. Because uh, true Christianity stands in the way of uh, global elitism or a global society that would bring on authoritarianism or social communism and a one world system or a one world government. Christians stand in the way of that. And we find that uh, wherever the gospel is preached, you see, it civilizes all, it moralizes many, and it saves some. It saves people, and it brings them in line with the word of God. And you see, uh, well, they just can't have that, because that goes against their whole plan. Uh, Remember, the end result is Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world now. And when we read uh, through 1 John, we see that. The spirit of Antichrist is in the world. And we know that, uh, according to the book of 1 Thessalonians, there will be an Antichrist that will come in the world. And we find that the whole idea of the authoritarian, socialistic, communistic ideal of the end of the age authoritarianism means that there must be a a person who rises up against Christ and he is uh, is called an antichrist. Um, He's not the same as, he's, he's he shows himself to be similar but yet he is different and he is against the true Christ of God. And so the book of Revelation of course reveals such an individual. And so uh, we find Jesus prays, I have given them thy word. Jesus gave them the word of God, and the world hath hated them, 
because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil one. You can, be, you can state it, evil one. Because there is only one who is evil. And it is not God. God is not the author of evil or sin. But there is one who is evil. And, and that one is the evil one. Our Father who art in heaven, we pray that prayer. But also that prayer brings out the sense that we are to be kept from the evil one. You see, um, there is one who was behind this whole thing. Uh, he is the small G-O-D of this world, the small God of this world. He is the one who, who is the prince in the power of air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, as in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. And so we recognize that the evil one is uh, at work. And uh, Jesus prays for his own Disciples, And he prays for us, too, that we would be kept from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So Jesus comes right out and says it here. I am not of the world of mankind. I came forth from the Father. These are not of the world because the Father has given them to me. And so we find that he prays in this manner. Uh, that uh, the Father uh, fully recognizes his prayer as such, that he is praying for them who were given to him, to Jesus. And he is, he is not praying for the world. And he says, I am not of the world. And then he says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And, uh, of course, we do know that the idea of truth in the Scripture, because this is the last statement here, isn't it? Sanctify them through thy truth. There is only one truth, and the truth is of the Word of God. And, of course, as we come to the Word of God, we find that it is all-encompassing of the truth of the Word of God. From the book of creation, in the book of Genesis, to the book of Revelation, the book of unveiling, we find the truth, that body of truth, reveals God as the Creator God. It reveals God's Son as that one who was sent by the Creator God into the world to die for the sins of the world. It reveals that only those who believe upon the Son of God, that He was sent into the world, that He is of the Father, and that He came to die for the sins of the world, are those who have been given to him. God reveals his truth through the word of God, through his word to us. And, and we find that we are to be set apart. The idea of sanctification here can, in some ways, it does mean holy, although we are not perfect in that sense of being holy like God is holy. But we are set apart as those who have been called of God unto the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are set apart. We have been separated from the world. We get that sense as he says, I pray not for the world, I pray for them that you have given me. So 
there is a there is a separate group of people here that he is praying for. And that group of people are those which are to be sanctified, to be separate, to be identified by the truth of which Christ gave to them, which God gave through the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And so here is a prayer that each of us should recognize and embrace. We should recognize this. This this is what is taking place in your life right now. Because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and was sent of the Father into the world, that He is the incarnate of God, that He came into the world to die for the sins of the world, and that you are, are a believer, you belong to that group of people. Because of this, you are being sanctified, you are being set apart as a group, as a person that is separated by this truth. You see, it takes this truth to do that for you. The truth of God's word. <clears throat> and and uh, you are being set apart by it. And, of course, that is what makes you different in a very real sense. And that is what, why the world hates you, basically. Why the world hates Christians is because they, they're rather exclusive to, to, to say the truth. You know, it's an exclusive group of people. Not everybody is a Christian, not a true, uh, not a true Christian. They might call themselves something similar, but unless they believe truly in the Son of God as He that was sent from the Father, the incarnate of God, that He came to die for the sins of the world, and that you personally, that person is your Savior personally, uh, then only those, only those are sanct- are they, they that are sanctified. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I also send them into the world. Okay, so here is the, here is the great commission, if you will. It isn't saying uh, that in so many words like it does in the Gospels, um, but it is saying it in another way. It is saying, in effect, that those who are believers are going to be those who go and preach the gospel to the world. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And so as a believer, you are sent into the world. You are sent to do what? To tell the truth. To tell the sanctifying truth. To tell this message of Christ. To tell about the incarnation. To tell about how Jesus came to die for your sins. To tell them there is only one means of salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. There is only one name that one can call upon and know and be saved. This is, this is a very uh, select truth that we tell, but it is one which is in the Word of God, and it is one that we are to uh, proclaim. It is the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for their sakes I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. So here is Jesus, and in his prayer he's saying, I sanctify myself, I am set apart, I am made holy, I have given this body of truth, I have sanctified myself that they might also 
be sanctified. Uh, and so it just comes right back around. Uh, we, yes, we are sanctified through the truth, but we could not be sanctified if Jesus had not also been sanctified and set apart unto this very thing of, um, of dying for the sins of the world, revealing himself and dying for the sins of the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their word. And so this verse 20 kind of just all of a sudden expands the whole thing. Remember in John chapter 10 when, when, G, when Jesus talks about the fold that uh, was his, that fold. But uh, he's saying, I have others that I must bring too into the fold. Well, here they are. He says it in a, in a different way. He says, I'm praying now. I pray for those alone. Not for those alone. Uh, I pray, neither pray I for those, these alone, but for them also who shall believe on me through their word. And so Jesus uh, was praying for the disciples that they would have the ability to go out and to preach this truth, the sanctifying truth unto others, that others might believe, that others might know the message of Christ. And so when you go out and you tell the sanctifying truth of the Word of God, not your word, not your truth, but the truth of the Word of God, when you tell that truth to others, it has this effect upon the hearts of, of people. It has this effect. That some are called. That some believe. That some turn to Christ. That some repent of their sins. And as they do, uh, they become known uh, in their own hearts as those who believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. I think probably one of the most um, telling stories about the life of Christ and of true Christianity is the spread of the gospel and how that it has influenced and affected people for so many uh, centuries since the Lord Jesus Christ uh, died for our sins. We find that the gospel began to be spread in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and then unto the uttermost parts of the world. That's the, the, the uttermost parts of the world carries it to the end of the globe. Globalism. And we find that that is what has taken place, of course through Christianity. And it is probably the one, one of the most threatening things that nations have against Christianity. Communism doesn't like Christianity because it undermines their communistic and socialistic authoritarianism in China. Russia doesn't care for Christianity for the same reason. India doesn't care for it for the same reason. Wherever you go, wherever there's an authoritarian government that somebody is trying to set up their own power base and to run uh, people uh, by their own control and authority, 
They don't like uh, Christianity because it sets people free from it. And uh, they don't like it. Uh, and we find that the gospel, has, wherever it's been preached, it civilizes people. It moralizes people. It saves people. And um, this is a very difficult thing for authoritarianism to, to take a hold of because uh, it threatens their, uh, their control. In fact, I guess the Judaism was having the same problem with Christ, weren't they? They, they, they saw Jesus as a threat to their, their religious system. They wanted to be rid of this radical, you see. And uh, so they, they didn't like Christ at all. They wanted to get rid of him. The Jewish leaders, they wanted to get rid of him for that same reason. But wherever Christ has been preached, people have been saved. Have you ever heard of praying towns? Praying towns? I recently got this little bit of tidbit, and I, I thought it was quite interesting. I was uh, doing some research, and um, I found out about someone I had known anyway in history. Uh, his name was John Elliot. E-L-I-O-T. John Elliot. British fellow who came to the United States, or I don't know, some, sometimes prior to 1863, because in 1863 he did something quite astounding. He translated the Algonquin language of the Indians uh, into the Bible. And he became known as the Apostle to the Indians. And Elliot Maine is named after him. Interesting, isn't it? And he established praying towns in, throughout Massachusetts, wherever he went, and preaching to the Indians. They became known as praying towns. Natick, Massachusetts was a praying town because John Eliot preached the gospel to the Algonquin Indians. In Massachusetts. And there was a number of them in Massachusetts that, that came to be known as praying towns because of the work of John Eliot in preaching the gospel. He was called the Apostle to the Indians and he translated the first Bible into the Algonquin language with some help of another fellow that was um, his, um, I suppose, amenuousness, a secretary of sorts. Uh, he helped him. I thought that was fascinating. Fascinating. You know, we 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 hear different things, and 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 uh, we don't put we don't put all these things together until we find uh, somewhere in the background there's this person, and how God used that person to transform um, a whole communities, and not only transform people's lives through the preaching of the gospel, but history begins to be built upon them. And uh, somewhere there in Natick, Massachusetts, there's this library where John Eliot has a statue and he's remembered. <laughs> and Eliot Maine was named after him way back when Maine was still part of Massachusetts. I love it! <laughs> it's just great! <laughs> Well, see, here is the effect of the gospel. Here is the effect of the gospel. And how that it, it changed, uh, changes people and changes lives. And, and uh, you know, these, uh, these countries who don't like the Christianity or are given to communism, they just don't, 
they don't get it at all. They don't want Christianity around it. It's just too radical. They can't stand it. Uh, well, let's look on and read some of the rest of this here. Um, verse 21, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. What kind of glory do we have? Well, we're called Christians. We're not only called Christians, but because we are uh, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to be glorified with the Lord. Well, we're waiting for that future glorification, right? Someday we're going to be glorified fully with Him. Right now we're known as believers. It is supposed to be our privilege to serve Him and to be witnesses for Him and to, to honor and to glorify Him now. But someday we will be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. We'll be glorified with Him. Verse 23, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me as thou hast loved them. Notice this reciprocal love relationship. The father loved the son. The son loves the, his, the, the disciples that the father has given to them. And the disciples love reciprocally back. Verse 24, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundations of the world. And so verse 24 says, we're going to be with him someday. We're going to know the glory that he has, and we're going to be with Christ. <clears throat> we're going to realize that glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, heaven. Um, of course, there is a quite. We might say there's a, a few stages to go through here before we actually get there. One is that we're we're living in this present uh, realm right now, uh, and we know that God means for us to be glorified with Him, and He will fulfill that plan in time, as the as prophecy unfolds. Verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me. He says it again right here. These have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it. That the love with which thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. <clears throat> One of the things that transforms believers so much is that we have learned not only to love the Lord, but to love one another. We are to be known as those who love other believers. Well, we not only that, we, we love the world. That is, we love those who are in the world. We pray for them. We want them to be saved. We, t we carry the message of Christ to them. We shine forth the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ to them. We take the message of Christ to them. 
Our love is demonstrated upon the basis of who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. Not upon some gushy sense of love, of phileo love, not or any other kind of love. No, it's based upon who Christ is, what Christ did for us, and how we can demonstrate that love toward each other and toward the world. And that's why the truth that sanctifies us and separates us unto God and to one another is that truth which is in Jesus Christ. And of course he prays, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Shall we pray? Loving Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Thank you, Father, for this wonderful passage. Lord, we know we could take much longer on it, but thou hast given us these moments to reflect. And I pray that you will bless these things to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.